welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, I'm Jessica Luke and I'm a first year cardiac surgery resident from the University of British Columbia. I'll be speaking with Dr. Mara Antonov, who is an assistant professor in thoracic and cardiovascular surgery from MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston regarding her perspective of resident wellness in cardiothoracic surgery. Dr. Mara Antonov is well known for being a phenomenal thoracic surgeon with clinical research interests that focus on lung cancer prognosis and therapy as well as for being an incredible role model, mentor, and sponsor of trainees with an educational research focused aimed at improving curricular design and assessment tools in thoracic surgical training. Dr. Antonoff, thank you so much for joining me. Can you tell me how you balance clinical with research and educational responsibilities and if you have any tips specific for our residents in training? Absolutely. You know, that's a bit of a, a loaded question, Jessica. Um, of course, balancing clinical activities with research and educational responsibilities be a challenge really for any of us in academic surgery and um, sometimes it's a bit of a balancing act and we even like to uh, call it more like work-life integration or integration of all these different aspects of our careers just because the balance sometimes fluctuate quite a bit. You know, I could tell you a lot about some of the strategies that I use at this stage of my career for balancing the clinical research activities with education responsibilities, but I think what's really helpful to residents is to understand that greatest priority during training is honestly the clinical activity. And I don't think that um, that really any other responsibility from the job perspective should ever take priority over that. Now, granted, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some of one's responsibilities and commitments outside of work, but I'm not speaking about that, just talking about education, research, and clinical activities. During one's clinical training time, I think it's incredibly important to honestly focus on clinical activity first and foremost. Um, for trainees who are trying to be involved in research and education uh, during their uh, clinical training, which I think is a fantastic thing to do, um, I do think one needs to remember the number one priority is the clinical training, particularly for trainees who are in a traditional cardiothoracic training program, maybe two or three years long, you have 24 to 36 months to really learn some technical skills and patient care strategies from your mentors that you're going to need to use the rest of your life. So granted, I did continue with educational activities and research activities during my training. But I will say never at the expense of focusing on patient care and uh, operative opportunities. I think, you know, everyone's schedule is a little bit different, and it's helpful to find out what resources you have available to um, really make your efforts in research activities as focused and um, as, uh, I guess, best use of your time as possible, trying to collaborate with others and ensure that you aren't putting effort into research activities when you are exhausted in a situation you're not going to really make the most use of your time. On the other hand, I would advocate that if you can find a way to get involved in research activities or educational activities during downtime, when you're in the hospital anyway, whether it's you're on call waiting for a transplant to come in or just passing the time, um, there's certainly ways to make the most use of your time. But again, I would argue that for trainees that are in their clinical aspects, of uh, their uh, residency, honestly, focusing on clinical uh, acqui- knowledge acquisition is the most important.
school during that time. Thank you so much, Dr. Antonoff. And can you tell me more about how one can maintain a work-life balance and provide tips for each stage of our cardiothoracic surgical training? Yes, absolutely, Jessica. So it sounds to me now you're asking not so much about how do we balance the clinical and the research and education and administrative tasks of our job within the job setting, but balancing the things we need to do at our job with the, with the part of life outside of work, outside of the hospital. And again, this can be really hard for trainees. Uh, we expect a lot of residents during their cardiothoracic surgical training, and it takes a toll on you not only while you're in the hospital, but also when you're outside of the hospital. I do think we know that the healthier any physician is, the better they're going to perform on the job. And trainees, more so than any other clinicians, are most limited in the amount of time that they truly have for wellness. We fully recognize that cardiothoracic trainees don't have time, you know, to spend a couple of hours exercising and meditating and getting a massage every day. You know, that would be delusional to think that's going to happen. However, it really is important to try to schedule those moments of health and wellness, whether that be making a plan that you're going to exercise on your post-call days and on the weekends that you're not on call, or ensuring that time aside for a phone call to be brief with a, you know, with a trusted friend or family member um, during difficult weeks or making sure that even if it's just taking the time to make sure that you have some of the food that you enjoy eating delivered to your home through some application on your phone, to do the little things to try to make your life enjoyable outside of the workplace so that it's not just focusing on taking care of others all the time. We really know that we can take our best care of patients and others, when we're also taking care of ourselves. I think another uh, aspect to think about comes to our own health. The old dogma is that a resident should be in the hospital at all times. The only time you're sick enough not to take care of patients when you're in the hospital and the patient yourself. And that can be a little bit ridiculous. We do need to ensure that we aren't working trainees to the point that they're unable to take care of patients because they're so sick themselves many times. So I think advocating for yourself and letting members of your team know you do need, you know, time to recover from illness or time to take care of family issues or um, if there's anything else going on in your personal life to ensure that your wellness does not get forgotten. Thank you so much. Such important tips on, um, on the importance of being healthy so that we can take care and of uh, unhealthy patients and to make them uh, better. And Dr. Antonoff, as family stressors are often some of the most significant uh, during training, can you tell us more about ways to succeed and thrive in this regard? Um, sure. You know, I, I think that that's a very valid point um, for those of us who have uh, domestic partners or spouses during training. It can be a huge stressor on those relationships. For those who do not have a partner at home to help, it can be even more challenging for a variety of reasons. Um, there are individuals who have children, who don't have children. And no matter what one individual uh, situation is at home, the stressors between trainees and those who support them be at their greatest during training. It's incredibly challenging because you're giving of yourself every single day to people who you don't know that well, you know, um, patients and strangers and giving everything you can to others outside of your family and your friends and expecting that you're going to have energy to take care of those relationships at the end of the day. And it can be hard. I think one of the best tips I have is recognizing that it's a limited time. Being honest with the people who care about you and letting them know, this is a challenging time for me. Here are some needs that I have. And I'm sorry in advance that I'm not going to be 
is that brother, sister, mother, daughter, wife, husband, whatever it is, maybe not the best friend that I could be, but I appreciate your patience. I'm grateful for your support. I can't get through this without you. And I look forward to a time when I can reciprocate better. I think setting expectations in that way can be enormously helpful. Um, I also think being honest with those around you regarding some of the stressors you're feeling. I think it's very normal to feel like you've been away from your family, away from your friends, and want to compartmentalize what's been going on at work when you see them. And if you can compartmentalize it, that's great. If you had a terrible day through up all night, you know, opening your chest in the ICU, that can take a toll on you, and you may or may not want to talk about the details of your clinical experience, but at least letting others around you know when you're having a hard time is really important. We tend to expect ourselves to be somewhat invincible, and I have enormous respect for all cardiothoracic surgical training because they are superheroes in some regards, but we do need to give one another credit for the challenges that we face and to be grateful, to be appreciative to those who support us, but also be honest with them about what our needs may be. Thank you so much, Dr. Antonoff. And in terms of burnout being cited more and more commonly in medicine, can you provide tips to surgical trainees and practicing surgeons on how we can prevent that from happening to us? Well, I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but um, I've heard a few talks about burnout, and I, uh, I guess I've experienced at least the aspects of training. For me, I always felt like the most important aspect not to get burned out during training was just remembering that it is a finite period of time. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and you will eventually get there. So I think, of course, some of the tips we already discussed for maintaining wellness are important, but some things you just can't change. You can't necessarily change the calls from pain to difficulty of the training. And just try and keep in mind that it's a finite period. You need to get through it. You need to stay healthy, and you need to learn as much as possible. are all really important aspects to try not to get burned out before you start your career. Just remember that it's going to be better on the other side. So those who are already in practice, I don't know that I have the best tips, but you know, I've read some books about this um, issue. I've heard some speakers. It's fantastic meetings. But you know, generally, the, the most important tips that I can do to hear relate to taking care of oneself, recognizing that you can't take care of others if you're not helping yourself. I think it comes down to accepting ourselves and being um, uh, not perfect humans who may have issues and concerns and health problems that need to be addressed and um, really looking out for ourselves but we can't take care of others. I think our, our important aspects of avoiding burnout and I think first and foremost is recognizing why we went into this in the first place and never forgetting that our primary goal was to help patients and really seeing ourselves working toward that goal is Honestly, I think one of the greatest ways to avoid burnout is just remembering why you're doing this and seeing the impact that you're making on lives, on research, on patient care, on family members, um, caregivers, and feeling good about that. Because every one of us in this field, whether you're a trainee or a seasoned full professor, we're all working very hard every day to improve patients with cardiothoracic disease, and I think it's important that we never forget that. Thank you. And... Devastating surgical complications can have uh, unintended impacts beyond the patient and their families, but also affects us, trainees, and uh, the surgical team involved. Can you share some coping strategies for recovery and moving forward from these uh, complications? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we all grieve differently, but there are some different patterns and, and commonalities in the way we deal with these issues. And, 
think it's very typical for any of us, whether a trainee or a practicing surgeon, in the moment to try to compartmentalize it and move on. And that's often a necessity. If you've got other cases that day, if you've got other tasks, you know, that you need to take care of. But I think debriefing at the very earliest feasible opportunity with others who are involved in the case is important. I think debriefing with others who weren't involved is important. And having been through some catastrophic patient situations at various times in my career, I can tell you that the most helpful things were talking through people, talking through the situation with people who were there, and then also reflecting with people who weren't there, understanding what every member of the team is feeling, what could be done differently, what we can learn from it. And often, that's what we all need more than anything to get past these types of situations. It is just knowing that we've done our best and what we might have done differently or something we could learn from the situation. Sometimes there's nothing to learn from the situation. Sometimes patients have very bad cardiovascular disease. Sometimes they get to the hospital too late. Sometimes cancer is too advanced. And it's hard when we can't help in these situations. I think giving ourselves permission to have emotions and whether those emotions are anger or sadness, um, of course it's important to maintain professionalism around um, other care providers and uh, patients and family members, but having someone with whom you can trust to communicate those emotions is important as well. For me, um, coping strategies you know, involve a combination of talking to people um, with whom uh, I, I share common values, being able to communicate with people whom I trust, but also just taking that negative energy and finding a way to get rid of it, either by exercising or um, you know doing something of that sort, talking to people, doing something that does bring me joy sometimes, you know, people have other needs to just forget about it. Doing something fun with someone, um, you know, who is not involved in medicine and taking your mind away from it. Sometimes people like to have a nice meal and a glass of wine, whatever it may be. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, one should drink away their troubles, but there are just different ways to um, deal with it. And I think it's important to acknowledge it, recognize it, and if you need to compartmentalize it for a period of time and not talk about it, that's okay, but give yourself permission to have those feelings, knowing that some of them may take a long time to uh, really normalize and feel okay. I also think a very important aspect of recovery from these types of devastating events is not letting them debilitate you and prevent you from being an outstanding There are uh, stories of people becoming paralyzed with fear after some sort of events, and I think it's really important to learn from those experiences to not let them prevent you from being a proactive, assertive, confident clinician going forward. And if you find yourself in a situation where you are limited in that regard, really seeking help because you don't want to do all of this training and then be paralyzed by one experience. Thank you so much, Dr. Antonoff. That advice really resonates with me and I'm sure with uh, many trainees and practicing surgeons as well. And Women in thoracic surgery are a minority comprising uh, less than 5% of American Board of Thoracic Surgery certified diplomats. Can you tell me more about the unique obstacles of being a woman in thoracic surgery as well as um, the unique benefits as well and how you overcome those? Absolutely. You know, I guess, first of all, for women trainees, I think it's important to know that um, we do recognize that there are some unique needs of women in our field. and um, there is a network of women practicing cardiothoracic surgeons who are eager and ready to support you and mentor you. Um, and I don't mean to single out the men either. I think it's important to recognize that there may be 
be a number of reasons why an individual may have particular challenges in their training. And maybe if someone is in a training environment where there's a lack of understanding about their needs based on their religion, their culture, there may be a lack of um, uh, welcomeness for LGBT needs. There may be a situation where someone is dealing with a variety of issues that are not well understood by their training environment. And for anyone in that situation, whether you don't have a same-sex mentor, a same-race mentor, someone who understands your personal struggles at that time, I think it's really important to find a mentor who does understand that. I, I know that they're speaking from the perspective of um, being a minority in the field of a woman and being at times you know, surrounded by others who didn't necessarily understand some of the challenges I was facing. One of the greatest decisions I made was to find others who could provide networking and provide support. So I think it's for trainees if they're feeling isolated or having a hard time to really seek out mentorship from others who might understand what they're dealing with. And if they aren't able to find it at their same institution, they're often ways to find mentorship through uh, the more um, formal organizations in, in our specialty, like the SDS and the AATS, but finding other ways to reach out so that you don't feel isolated and alone. Because I think for a lot of people who are in minority situations, we spend a lot of time trying to fit in and trying to make everyone think that we're just like everyone else. And I could definitely say this is true for myself. I spent a lot of time as a general surgery resident trying to prove that I was just the same as all of you guys. And it was about a year into my cardiothoracic training that I realized I'm not exactly the same as the guys, but I don't need to be. I'm different. I'm different in a way that is wonderful. I don't want my patients and adds immensely to my life, both inside and outside of work. You know, I think for us all to understand our differences, embrace our differences, and be happy with who we are, stop trying mold is incredibly important. There are obviously unique obstacles to wellness, whether you are a man or a woman. Um, everyone deals with issues such as parenting and aging parents and um, trying to find a partner, getting along with that partner, managing debt. There are so many challenges that one can deal with during one's training period. And I don't mean to move away from your question about women, because I do feel very strongly about being a fantastic advocate for um, those of us in practice to look out for women who are in training in cardiothoracic surgery, but I also feel that it's incredibly important that for the purposes of inclusion and diversity, we're thinking about the needs of all of our trainees. And there are um, really a lot of a lot of challenges that people have, and I think we all just need to be open to recognizing that we need to support one another because it's the future of our field. And for any trainees who are in an environment where they're feeling isolated, my greatest recommendation is to seek mentorship either inside or outside of your institution, either inside or outside of our specialty. You just don't want to feel alone. There are ways to get through this. And I would encourage anyone who's having a hard time to really seek um, some tips from others who may have been there before. I think you're probably asking me what are some of the things that we could do or perhaps others could do, and we could have a whole separate podcast about that. But I think um, most importantly, recognizing for trainees trying to find wellness during their residency um, if they are finding themselves feeling isolated or different or having challenges that aren't being addressed or needs met, um, not to ignore them, but to embrace them and try to find someone who can help them work through it. Thank you so much for sharing your insightful perspective and thoughts in regards to uh, such broad um, topics on wellness and cardiothoracic surgery, Dr. Antonoff, which I'm sure our, our audience will find extremely informative. Do you have any closing thoughts you would like to add? Um, you know, I don't. I think I would just um, repeat what we have discussed a couple of times already, which 
is that uh, you have a limited time for your clinical training as a cardiothoracic surgical uh, professional, and you really want to make the most of that time. And if you are debilitated by anything, whether it be stress, anxiety, um, you know, familial issues, anything else going on, or not being well or healthy yourself, it's going to limit your ability to absorb that information and to translate to your eventual skill set as a cardiothoracic surgeon. So while I know you all want to put the patients first at all times, and I would suggest you otherwise, it is also important to prioritize yourself and ensure that you are well and you're taking care of your own needs and you grow and learn and give back to the community of patients and caregivers for the rest of your career. Thank you so much, Dr. Antonoff, and thank you very much, everyone.